Welcome back, guys, to the Grateful Living Podcast. Today, I'm here and thankful to have Kwani Lunas. Uh, Kwani is the social media producer for NBC10 Boston and NECN. Uh, Kwani, thank you for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's let's go back to the beginning. Um, set the scene for us, um, you know, where you grew up, um, maybe a little bit about your family, um, Talk, talk, talk to me about what type of kid um, you were, things like that. I mean, to go off the last question, the type of kid I was, was one where the teachers would say, she's very smart, but she talks a lot. So it's very fitting that I am in the field that I am right now. But we'll obviously get to that a little later. I grew up in Orange, New Jersey, um, two parents, Haitian American. I mean, my parents were born in Haiti, I'm Haitian American. and. I have two younger brothers, and I grew up in Jersey, went to school there under, like, for um, elementary school and high school, and then ended up going, moving up here to Massachusetts for college. I went to Boston College, and after that, I have been there since, did not plan on doing that, but the opportunities career-wise that I ended up encountering ended up leading to me still being in Boston, Massachusetts, and it has been a really great career so far and just really a great experience being in a market like this and learning so much from all the experienced vets in yeah. this. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit more about um, the Haitian American background. Um, how important or how prevalent was that um, in how you grew up? Um, have you been to Haiti? Things like that. I have not been to Haiti. I do want to go. It, every time I've wanted to go, things just didn't really work out. But I definitely want to go, but growing up being Haitian, and it still is, it was always very important to me and my family. My parents spoke Creole in the house. I didn't speak Creole with me, which I think is the reason why I don't feel comfortable speaking Creole because I definitely don't have an accent, but I understand the language. I can, I used to speak with my great grandmother in Creole every once in a while. My grandparents still get on me for not speaking to them in Creole, but I understand the language enough where I feel like I am connected to the culture. I love the Haitian food. I try to cook some, like try to learn how to cook certain things every once in a while. I, I don't know, I just really love my culture. And I think growing up, it was, I think that era was when a lot of people liked making fun of people for being Haitian and they would just call us all types of names. And I honestly don't really understand where that stemmed from, but I'm glad that as I got older, it didn't really affect me. And uh, actually, when I went to Boston College, I ended up getting involved in and ended up being the president of our Haitian Association by my senior year. Yeah, awesome. And that was just another way for me to really get involved in my culture and even learn more about my culture that like there was there were kids at BC that actually came straight from Haiti to BC. So their experiences were completely different. And I learned more about my culture via them. So I'm very proud to be Haitian. I know people get on me. It's funny, actually, you mentioned that I was at a protest, I was covering a protest um, this past weekend and I wanted to interview this man that was there with his son just yeah. because of the imagery of, you know, seeing a black man with his son at a protest for black yeah. lives. And I, I heard his accent and immediately I knew what it was. He was Haitian because I've yeah. heard Haitian accent my whole life. So I introduced myself to him, asked him if we could interview him for this project that we're doing and he, Asked me if I, I, no, actually when I introduced myself, I told him, yeah, my parents are Haitian too, but I don't really speak that much Creole. Yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he was like, what's your name? Yeah. And he said, Kwani. And he's like, 
well, your name's not even Haitian and you don't speak Creole. What's going on here? And it was, it was all in jest, but yeah. there are times where I think in any culture, people will try to not necessarily discredit you, your, your culture, but there'll be like levels of like, oh, you're more Haitian than this person. And I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to how you've embraced where you are, the history of the country that you're from, and what you try to do to make sure that you're continuing the culture. Like, I may not speak Creole, and maybe that might be, not be great for advancing the culture in that way, but at the same time, like I make sure that I know the history of the country and I try to be, you know, just in tune with as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit more about um, journalism. Was that something that you, um, you know, were interested in in middle and high school? Were you part of any newspapers or things like that? Or So the high school I went to and even middle school, they didn't have journalism programs. I know that a lot of wealthier um, high schools will have real newspapers, television stations. I was not fortunate to have that, but I also do not regret that I didn't have it because I think journalism came at the right time for me and the right part of my life. And who knows that if it came earlier, if I would have even been interested. For me, it came around junior year, I think, of college when I realized that I have to start figuring out what my career is going to be. And I was managing the women's basketball team, as you know. And yep. That was when I realized like basketball is almost over when it comes to me being in that team environment. And I really love the sport. I love being around the sport. I love sports in general. So how do I stay connected to sports after school? Yeah. And it took, I don't really know what there, there was a moment where I was like, oh, journalism is a thing. But I ended up going to a conference that summer after junior year and meeting, it was the National Association of Black Journalists, Black journalists from across the country meet on a regular basis and it happened to be in Boston that year when yeah. I was being on campus for the summer so I didn't have to fly to another state. I had to pay the registration fee but it wasn't as bad as like if you had to fly to another state pay for airplanes and all that. Yeah. Right so it, it felt like all right I need to be here and I ended up meeting a lot of prominent sports journalists in particular and I think that was a moment of realization for me where I saw people that actually looked like me. And yeah, growing up, you saw the Pam Olivers and the Robin Roberts, and but there weren't that many. Like yeah. even now in sports, there still aren't as many black women in particular as there can be in this field. So I think just being able to physically put a face to the career, I was like, oh, I can actually do this. And not that it, it needed, I needed to like see myself, but I mean, sometimes you do because yeah. you can't really have a vision until it's like put down and, really given to you. So for me to see other people doing it and very successful at it, I was like, okay, this is something I can do in that year. I was kind of scrambling. I was already a communications major, which was perfect because I was just, at that point, I just wanted to fi finish my credits. But then I realized, oh, there are journalism classes I can take. I took a sports writing class at BC, which is funny because I actually run into that professor now when I cover games, which <laughs> all came yeah. full circle. Yeah. And yeah, just I quickly tried to get as much experience as I could um, over those last few months of college, but knowing that the real experience came in the workplace. And so another way BC women's basketball helped me, uh, Steph Tanera, I'll give her a shout out. She yeah. actually was the person I reached out to when I really, I wanted to be in the field. I didn't know how, how to navigate it. 
And I was like, hey, I think I want to do this, but I'm not sure how to start. And she actually did some digging and found that WEI was looking for an intern for the summer, the local sports radio station here. And I interned that summer. That was like right after the conference, I think, actually. And then from then on, I got my internship at Nesson New England Sports um, Network, where I covered hockey, actually, which was a whole new experience for me. I had never really grown up watching the sport. And yeah. so I was able to learn. And I appreciate them for even hiring me because I admitted in an interview, like, I, I don't know much about the sport, but I want to learn. And I think this would be the best way. And I had done research beforehand, but there's some things you just have to learn on the job. And they were gracious enough to offer me an internship. I worked there for that entire semester. And then those are the only two internships I had. And when you look back on it, I know a lot of kids will start, or like you said, some kids start in high school, they already know what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. But I started a little late and I think I still kind of have a little chip on my shoulder for that because I'm like, oh, I was, you know, I didn't go to J school. I didn't do this. I didn't do the things that you're supposed to do. But I think the overall message is the fact that everyone's path is different and like you can listen to people's stories and I think it's always good to know how people got to where they are but at the end of the day it's up to you but also your your journey is just going to be different like there are going to be different doors that are open for you you're going to meet different people the timing of some of the interactions I've had with people were just for me divinely ordained like I you know I've one time randomly ran in, I mean, it wasn't random. I was at the conference and I ran into Robin Roberts at in a, an elevator. And the funny part is before that I had ran into her, I had actually wanted to meet her because she was at the sports breakfast um, conference that NABJ, um, the sports task force for NABJ has on a regular basis. Yeah. And I saw the line and not gonna lie, I was like, I really wanna meet her, but I'm not standing this line. And I actually had to be somewhere um, to at another seminar at 11, at like a specific time. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'm just not supposed to meet her. And then turns out I go to my room to get my key, come down the elevator, and turns out who's right there. So it, everything works itself out and everyone's story is going to be different. That's the end of the day. But also it, it also comes with a lot of hard work. Like you really have to be willing to grind and know that this industry isn't easy. As with most industries, you have to, it's very competitive, especially when I was working in sports, like, everyone wants to work in sports like people yeah. are willing to work for free and like free for 10 years just to like have their foot in the door you know and that but that's part of the grind you have to be willing yeah. to, to do that i mean when i was interning and i sound like a like little like i'm an old person like <laughs> but like kids now get paid to intern i'm just like i never got paid to intern i think we got a stipend for traveling to the games but overall like i had to pay my out of pocket and the whole point of internship for me, in my head, it's like, you should be working so hard that they're like, okay, we need to find a way to hire this person. Or this person's worth ethic stands out so much that even if we don't have an opening, we're going to make one for them. Like, that's what internships would be about. I have worked with interns now as an adult that it, they just see it as a job. Like, oh, okay, I'm here, whatever. I don't really care about this. Like, I have no passion for sports or I have no passion for news. I'm just like, one, well, why are you even here? Like, what made you, you know, how did you even apply to this job? So, and you're taking a spot of someone that actually would be willing to work so hard for it. So that was kind of my entry way into journalism. And yeah. still, it's a continuing process. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us about, um, you know, your love for sports. And I mean, you talked a little bit about being um, a manager for the women's basketball team. 
Um, it seems like that, your love for sports and in terms of your junior year at BC and then figuring out your career kind of led you to your first internship and things like that. Where did that love for sports come? Did you play uh, or did you watch um, any sport in particular? Yes. So growing up, I, I played sports. It's funny. I was actually just cleaning my apartment this past month, really. But my parents brought over a box of like all the old things, like all my like photo albums and just like childhood stuff that I had in a box. And I was going through it and I found like a photo. It's funny, actually, I found the photo of me when I played on the t-ball team in my city of Orange, New Jersey. And yeah. That's, I think like a week before my parents had told me, my brothers had told me they had found the shirt, like this exact shirt that I had worn. And yeah. I guess we hadn't gotten rid of it. But growing up, I, so I was the only child for like about eight years. And so like me and my dad, we hung out a lot. We played basketball, played sports, like, and I, I really hate the term tomboy. And, but for lack of a better word, like that's what I kind of grew up. But it's weird because I wasn't like, a tra- I hate the term tra- traditional tomboy. I think honestly, I was just a well-rounded person. Like I obviously was a young girl who loved playing with my mom's makeup and trying her heels on. But also, I really loved basketball. I really loved sports. Two of my best friends as a child were—they were like my neighbors. They were—they were guys. And I remember my mom. I mean, I don't believe the story, but she claims that I was like the ringleader of the group and like we <laughs> out and run around. And apparently, we terrorized this one little boy, which. I hope that didn't really happen. I hope he's okay, wherever he is. <laughs> but, like, that was just me. Like, I was so used to, like, playing sports in, in and one sport. It's funny. I actually have this shirt that, like, I'm going to show you the shirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. I just got mailed this shirt. Yeah. And it says female athlete, but it actually has female crossed out of yeah. it. I've seen Candace Parker wear that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to shout out. I'm going to give him a little shout out because they actually just sent me. This shirt, I haven't worn it yet. Player Society, thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this shirt, I think, really just encompasses what I mean about the fact that, like, I love sports. And unfortunately enough, it was still, I mean, I was born in the 90s, so it was a time where I guess we were slowly starting to realize that women could play sports. So even when I played on that t-ball team, I was the only girl on the team in the city wow. because they didn't have enough either funding or people that signed up. I, I remember it being, I think, not enough people signed up and they're like, okay, she can just play on the boys team. And I'm just like, fine, whatever. Like I thrive in any environment, but at the same time, it's like, really? Like you couldn't even find a way to get more women on this team. So moving forward, I think that's just been a common thing. I look, now that I think about it, like a common theme in my life is always being in environments that are very male dominated. And I'm grateful that I know how to navigate through them, but they definitely have come with their challenges for sure. But it just goes to show that even the industry like working in sports where you can just really love the game of football or really love basketball and people are just like, "Eh, this doesn't seem normal, but it's like, no, I know more football and basketball than probably the common man. And yet I'm still going to get quizzed about my knowledge about the sport because it's like, you're a woman, (laughs) calm down, go to the kitchen. Okay. You're funny. But I love sports. Like I, you know, grew up watching them, grew up playing them, played in high school. I mean, I wasn't the greatest athlete of all time. I won't say that, but I just really love the sport. And the fact that it kept, I think just playing sports in general, like 
there's that team attitude, that competitive spirit, obviously. I think that's why I'm so competitive, too. I love winning. And if I feel like I'm about to lose, I'm going to do whatever <laughs> to make sure that I'm not. And I, and I think that's helped me in my career. Like, I've, I've worked in team – like, working in a – an office is a team environment and for you to be able to thrive and make sure you're working well with other people towards that one goal, I think, I mean, that's just how sports, I think, encompass the real world. You know, we're looking now about at how you have athletes speaking out against injustice. And yeah. at first the narrative was stick to sports or shut up and dribble. And yeah. now we're realizing that, okay, you want to tell these athletes to sit in their corner, but at the end of the day, they're human beings first, and most of them are Black. And the reality is that if a Jason Tatum or a LeBron James or even like a, a un, maybe not as well-known player were to get pulled over and that officer happened to not know who he was, he could still be subjected to the racism just Early because he a lot of <laughs> ideas. Right. So. No, no, yeah. Huh? You know, uh, no, that's what, what's it? The guy on the Milwaukee Bucks was that Sterling? There was there's a guy on the uh, Milwaukee Bucks that got pulled up. I think it was Sterling Brown. Oh, okay. On the Bucks? Yeah, yeah, in 2018. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that happens on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Continue. I mean, I mean, and then LeBron had the N word. On his LA house, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It happens all the time. Like they don't even really care who you are. So again, sports have way more impact. Whether it's just the way that people play them and how it affects you know your personality as you know a team player in a sense, or in our society where sports does hold this, this it bears a lot of weight, and people want to distinguish whether or not oh athletes should be speaking out, but no. We're all human beings. Like, yes, you pay them millions of dollars to entertain you, but when they're not being your entertainment, they're, they're, they have to deal with the real-life realities of being Black in America. So They're a member of society. Right, exactly. Uh, talk to me a little bit about um, why you joined or um, had a job with the BC women's basketball team, um, what drew you to that, and um, things like that. That's another part of my journey that wasn't planned, but obviously it was necessary. I was, at the time, I hung out with a lot of, like even at BC in general, I just hung out with a lot of athletes. Yeah. I don't know what it is about just me being a really short person that talks a lot. And I'm just always around tall people that, you know, I don't know, I'm just always around like tall people. Yeah. So that was me at BC. Like I would hang around, especially the women's basketball players. We were all just mad cool. And I remember one day, uh, we, I don't remember how the conversation was sparked, but one of the players was like, girl, you're around us so much. Like you might as well just be on the team, like work with yeah. the team. Yeah. And I was like, okay, but how do I do that? And she brought me to the director of operations office. And I vaguely remembered, I don't know if I got hired on the spot or what it was, but he was like, yeah, we have an opening. You could be a manager too. And I was, that's literally how it happened. I had no idea what I had just signed up for. Yeah. I don't regret it. I'm grateful. It was a fun experience. I, will say to this day, it's always been one of the most fun experiences I had in college because I like to say I got to play on a, be on a team without having to physically play because obviously I would have been terrible for the team itself. But the things that I was really good at is what helped the team run. And like I mentioned, like teamwork, no matter what role you play, you're still contributing to that team and to the success of that team. And 
my role was managing it, getting waters during games and like on the road, taking care of, basically we made sure all the players were on the bus, which was essential. Like you had to make sure. <laughs> the players were yeah. And just like literally the word manage, just any little thing that you could think of, we helped do that. And I think that would help me learn just a lot more about the sport too, because I'm around basketball all the time. There are times where coach, and I still talk to him now, Eric Johnson, yeah. he would have me, he would pull me into drills and I'm just like, I kid you not. <laughs> and to this day, like, I, I don't know whether to be embarrassed or like laugh about it. I actually had an asthma attack during one of the practices because I was just going so hard and I did not care and I like wanted to be a part of it. And I actually yeah. remember I took a charge um, during one of the practice drills and everybody was like like applauding me and stuff like that. And it was funny. I, like I took pride in that because I was like I really I, I was out here just stood still, took that charge, and then I ended up, you know, needed to get my inhaler. Yeah. But it was just cool to, like, literally be a part of even the game itself and learn more about the game of basketball because, obviously, as you play on college, a collegiate level, or even professional, you learn more about the game itself. And, again, as someone who didn't advance from high school to play in college, my, like, knowledge of the game kind of stopped, would have stopped at high school. But to be able to be a part of the collegiate experience, I learned more there. And then even now, these past few years, I've covered the Celtics. I've learned more about pro ball as well. So like being able to continue to soak up knowledge about the game has always been something that I've been grateful about because a lot of people don't get the opportunities to be in those rooms that I was able to, those film sessions, those, you know, even now, like NBA locker room type conversations, like you learn more about things based on the environments that you're in. And I'm grateful that basketball has really been a part of my life for a long time. And I hope it continues. <laughs> I want to also say it's to anybody listening to her story. It's a lot of hard work too. I mean, it's no joke. I mean, his, you almost have like the schedule of like a, a, player. a student I mean, cause you're coming to games like what, three hours before the game starts, you're doing, you do like laundry for the players, you know, Red eyes back. Uh, there'll be a Sunday night game in Charlotte, and we're flying back, getting in Boston maybe 3 a.m. And then at the end of all of this, you're driving home on the bus. You land in land. You do stop in front of Conti Forum, which is DC's uh, basketball facility. And coach is like, "Yeah, and you're all expected to be in class tomorrow at 8 a.m." And you're like, "What? Like I'm not even like. Yeah. Do you have this authority over me?" But the reality is, yes. Like you need to be in class because you represent the team as well. No yeah. matter who you are, you better be in class. You better have your grades up. You better be doing all your schoolwork. And like you said, we're on that schedule. We're on that practice schedule. We're on that game day schedule. We're on whatever other events that are mandatory for the managers to be there, we're there as well. So a lot of my life was um, revolved, which is funny, I think, now, because I'm like, I don't know how I did that full-time, essentially, and still was, like, a student manager for our cater at BC's catering and then wow. still did school. Like I honestly don't. And now I get tired when I have to do one thing in <laughs> one day. And I'm like, how did I do all of that in college? Like I had way too much energy. <laughs> yeah. For, for context, like there were, were like what, Saturday morning practices at like so 9 a.m. I hated like, those. Like if you're, you know, you're trying to be a college student and socialize at night. I mean, those were, you're getting up at 7 a.m., taking right. out the equipment, and right. like, so it's, it's a grind. <laughs> um, 
talk to us about um, choosing BC, um, you know, in your, your high school journey, junior and senior year, how did that, um, how did you choose BC? What were some of the factors um, and things like that? So BC actually was a suggestion of one of my friends and I had not really known about the school to be honest. And so I did a little research, but it was one of those things where I applied, didn't really think much into it. And then eventually when I got accepted. I was like, okay, I guess I'll check it out. And then I went to go visit for the Ahana, I think it's called Ahana Family Weekend. I don't know what they changed it to. Yeah. Basically like the students of color to be able to get a chance to see the campus, which was a fraud because I went there thinking like, oh, this school is black. Like, you know, it might be an HBCU when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> had everybody there, like J. Cole and Wale performed. I really just like fell in love with the school. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Yeah. N turns out that was not the case. Granted, the black community there was really close and yeah. I think that helped. But when I visited, I think, I actually, honestly, I think the one moment where, and it's so, minuscule when you think about it i lost my passport on campus during that weekend yeah and someone had found it and i don't remember the details either someone found it and they were able to get in contact with me and i remember i think i might have that tweet still up actually and i tweeted because i remember seeing that tweet recently i was like really and i was like yeah i know bc's a school for me because i lost my password and someone gave it back and it, was, it wasn't even about the passport. I think it was more of the fact that I would be in a community where I would be safe and people were looking out and no one was out here trying to steal a passport that they probably couldn't even use anyway. Yeah. And I think just sometimes it takes that one little thing where you just feel a level of comfort where you know you belong. And I'm glad I listened because I ended up having a really good experience over the next four years. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted talk a little bit about um you know the events going on um and you know like george floyd's death and numerous other things um it's you know for you how aware you know in your high school and college years of being a person of color um how was uh and a woman to um you know was that something that you were hyper aware of um were there any incidents that you remember being like oh that's weird or things like that i mean um i think that would be very valuable for you know a lot of the you know non-black community um how how's your experience been yeah i think overall i as a black woman i'm always aware of the fact that I'm a black woman, whether that's walking into a meeting and knowing that I'm going to be the only black woman and or person in that room, whether it's going to a not black affiliated conference and knowing that there still won't be as many people that look like me there. Honestly, in Boston, it could come down to walking into a restaurant and knowing that I won't see other people that look like me and I'm just trying to go get some food. So I've always been aware of it. I can't tell you the exact moment where I realized like I'm always going to stand out, especially again, being in the industry that I am in, but it's definitely something that I am very cautious, con conscious of. And I try to, I think the, one of the frustrating parts is where you're in an industry and 
you're expected to be the voice of black people where yeah. you an incident like this they're like oh all right we let's call on our one black person how are black people feeling today <laughs> like dude <laughs> the room. literally there's no one in the room that can talk about this subject other than me you might need to reread the room and i think when you look at it from that perspective it's like i don't want to be the black voice i want to help elevate the black voice but i i mean especially being a journalist i think the whole point of having diversity in media is that you look at history and it was chronicled not not from the perspective of black people a lot of times and for our stories to not be heard as a black journalist i think my biggest duty to society is to make sure that black voices are elevated yep. as a journalist i don't need to insert my opinion into things i've learned that now especially working on the news side obviously in sports it's a little more lax it's a little more fun but now yeah. that I'm dealing with these real life issues, I realize that yes, I do think there's a need to speak out for injustices, but sometimes it comes down to me picking my battles. Like, am I going to personally speak out about something or am I going to go cover a protest and let the people that are there speak out against what yeah. they're speaking out against? And that actually is, is very timely because this past weekend, past week on Thursday, one of my coworkers and I, she pitched this brilliant idea to just get get the voices of the protesters heard. Like yeah. you see the looting and the rioting and you hear the narrative of the fact that, you know, these people were protesting, but it was violent. And as someone who works in news, I can understand why people would feel like the news is against them. And so one of our duties is to make sure we're letting people's opinions be heard. And it's funny because the first girl I, uh, not one of the first few people I interviewed. Yeah. Excuse me. I saw this girl and I was like, I have to talk to her. And I didn't, she looked like kind of quiet. So it's so funny because once she started talking, I didn't even ask her the first question. All I said was, what's your name? And can you spell it out? Yeah. And she just went hard. Like she, her voice to speak it from her diaphragm for sure. And she just, spoke what was on her heart and it turned out like i'm just interviewing her for our camera and everyone around just started listening to a point where we had a crowd and everyone was just like looking at her watching us and i'm like oh the pressure's on i'm just like it's a live tv but in real life yeah. and i followed up with her with just like two to three questions just to get a perspective on why she was there and at one point she was like you know don't trust the news don't trust everything that you see because they're spreading propaganda and again, I'm like, obviously there is a news entity, but that's the whole point. I think yeah. people have, it has been lost on people that you as a news person or news organization, whatever it is, you're supposed to give people all of the truth, as much of the truth as you can get at least. Yeah. And it's up to the viewer to decide what they want. I think what news has evolved into is this cookie cutter because our society has become cookie cutter where everyone decides what they like you, you follow who you want to see on your timeline and everyone gets to have their opinions reinforced and i think that's part of the reason why we are where we are today because people aren't willing to listen to the other side or they don't want to listen to the other side yeah so i think me being in this role now it's opened my eyes to like what i want to do and how i can actually hopefully make a difference not i mean look it doesn't it takes a little step towards just making sure at least I'm doing my part and making sure the truth is heard. Yep. And so actually to just self plug, if anyone wants to look at that project, um, go to NBC 10 or NECN 
and we will be able to find the project. I'm going to find the official name because I yeah, sounds good. Didn't know it, but it's yeah, it's it's been a it's the beginning of the process for this project. It, right now, it's called "We Can't Stop Fighting." So if you Google "We Can't Stop Fighting" and George Floyd protesters in their words yeah. on N10 Boston, you'll be able to see the first part of it. So just like you said, I'm watching these events occur in real time. I realize that they affect me as a black woman, but I am just sitting silently for now and listening, but not in a sense of like, I'm not gonna speak out. It's more of like, I'm observing what other people around me are saying. I'm observing the people that I call friends or colleagues or family members to see how they're reacting to it or how they're treating me accordingly for that. And as a result, I think it would just help me be a better journalist because now I know who's not getting heard, what's not getting, what messages aren't getting across and hopefully be able to do that in a way that has no parties aligned, there's no political agenda. It's like, yeah. I'm giving you the pictures and you're deciding. Yeah, sounds good. Um, talk to us now. So you, you spend four years at BC. Um, what is, what, how, how is post-grad go? Um, what's your role? Um, where are you? Things like that. Postgrad is good. I there are times where I miss BC just because of the proximity of being near my friends. That's probably the biggest part. But I really have enjoyed the journey so far. I think a lot of people around me will tell you I get impatient about almost anything, especially with my career. Like coming out of college, like I know people that came out of college or like they had jobs or they like really want to get married or whatever it was. Yeah. And for me, that thing was just like my career. And yeah. I am grateful that I had the chance to grind it. I mean, granted, people look at my career and they're like, oh, she's starting in Boston. I mean, I've had people tell me that they don't like, they think that me being in Boston is just different because generally speaking, you should start somewhere else in a smaller market and that's where you get experience. And I agree with that 100%. But at the same time, I wasn't afforded those opportunities to go in these smaller markets and get that real you know, rep experience. And, but I look at my career now and I'm like, I'm grateful for that because some of the doors that have opened for me, I don't think they would have opened in small markets. Who knows yeah. if I would have made it to Boston after being somewhere else for that long anyway. So I definitely don't regret my journey. I love um, every single part about it, even the grind part. I think people will look at me and they're like, oh, she started in Boston. She's so privileged in that sense. Like her career has been great. Like, no, I had my grinding period. I had to grinded out during the internships. I had days where I really couldn't have afforded to go to do this internship. And I'm like, okay, how do I get the money to go here? When I interned at WEI, I was waking up, the show I think was from six to 10 a.m. And I was waking up 4.35 a.m. to make sure that I could bike from BC all the way to Brighton, which is so funny because I live down the street from a WEI right now. But I would bike there and bike back because that was the only means of transportation that I could afford. Wow. And the reason why I had the bike was because one of my BC catering coworkers, she was like one of the managers and she had an extra bike in her garage, Karen. And she was like, here, you can have this bike. And it's, it, along the journey, it has, I hate when people say I'm self-made. I did this on my own. I look at my journey. I literally would not be where I am right now without hundreds of people that have yeah. contributed to my life, whether it's someone who, decided to buy me groceries one day, whether it's my fo former acapella, um, do you say teammate, team group mate, whatever. <laughs> I remember just like running into her randomly and I had just got like 
kicked out of my sublet and I didn't know where I was going. And she let me stay in her apartment for like a week just to figure out. And I, I kid you not, that was just a coincidence to me running into her. Like all the random people in my, not random people, all the people in my life who randomly found themselves back in my life or in my life for the reasons that I needed them to be there. And I'm just truly grateful for that because again, I know that I, I'm not where I am because of myself. Like there's no way. Like for me, it's been God and the people that have worked in my life. So I'm grateful for that. And yeah, undergrad, uh, undergrad, outside of grad school, post-grad has been great. I am enjoying the journey. I think as I've gotten older, I'm starting to realize that the impatience that I've had, like all the things I prayed for are slowly coming to fruition. And I'm again, continuing to slow it down, be grateful, enjoy the journey, even working from home quarantine over the last three months, I made up my mind like, okay, this is not the most ideal situation, but grow from it, do something, get better because of this. Like, don't be the same person. It's funny, my dad just called me, excuse <coughs> me to say this, but like, don't be the same person when this is over. Make sure that when we finally get to go back out and life gets on that fast track again, that you, you took something from it that you actually apply and continue to be yeah. better for it. And that's basically what my, my post-grad life has been, just appreciating the journey, but slowing it down. I think quarantine, if anything, taught me that I needed to slow down. And yeah. I on the fast track and I needed to take it day by day because that's what life really should be about. Yeah. Can you talk specifically? So you started out at NBC Boston, correct? No, actually, um, out of college, I got hired at WBZ, the CBS okay. here in Boston. Yeah whole other story in itself I actually went to just shadow one of the news anchors for a day but I had brought resumes I brought business cards I was handing the resume business cards to everybody and I met the news director had my resume in the bag and was like again I didn't go there looking for a job because I didn't think anything would come up from it I really just wanted to shadow her but I met this guy and I was like and he was like oh where are you from what school you go to and then I remember giving him my resume and my business card and then nothing coming from it initially but then after I had done a tour of the building somehow I like reconnected and he was I guess he had looked at the resume was looking at it and he was like oh you have a lot of experience granted again it was just those two internships I mentioned yep. and it had like the clubs that I had been involved in on, at BC like the BC TV and stuff like that and then so I had experience I had a resume at least and so he was like at first, he didn't bring it up when I first gave him the resume, but then, you know, a few minutes or hours later, he was like, oh, we actually have an apprenticeship program that I think you'd be good for. Would you be interested in me? You know that question right before college, what are you going to do out of school? Yeah. I had no leads. So I was like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll, I'll apply, whatever it is. And so I applied for it and then eventually get, ended up getting the position. And the role itself was formatted to be six months. You knew it was going to end after six months, but you were yeah. paid. And the whole point was for you to just get real time experience in journalism. Like I mentioned, you need experience in the workplace. Like there's only so much you can learn in a book. And basically I look at it as a full-time internship in the sense that I got to make of it what I wanted. I got to learn from it. I had no obligation to say I'm a reporter or I'm a news desk assignment desk editor. Like there was no specific title put on me other than apprentice. Yeah. And that helped me navigate throughout the newsroom. And I, I'm so social. I literally would walk into everyone's edit bay and just introduce myself. By the end of the time there, I knew everyone on the production side. I didn't know anyone in the front, like the 
general managers upstairs. I probably should have done that. But I, <laughs> I made a point to just know everybody. And I think that helped me realize what I wanted to do more career-wise from jump when I got the uh, offer. I had told him I want to work in sports. And I know this is supposed to be supposed to be a news apprenticeship, but is there a way that I can maybe work in the sports department for a few days or whatever? And he was like, you know what? I'll make a deal with you. I'll actually split it in half where you'll do three months in the newsroom, three months in the sports department. Wow. In those three months in the sports department was right as the season begins. So it was September or October, November, December. Yeah, like the final three months. But that's how when basketball starting, football starting and uh, hockey and baseball as well. So, oh, not baseball, but baseball is like ending. And so I was able to be in the sports department full-time. They would send me to locker rooms, practices, and to like get sound whenever they couldn't send their sports reporters there, just so I'm learning how to navigate a locker room. Like my first time in locker room, it was <laughs> a very interesting experience. And I learned from that, like, okay, this is the protocol. This is how you're supposed to ask for players to be available if you need or sometimes you just have to walk up to a player you've never met and talk to them and that is nerve-wracking I will tell you as a, a child a child I was a child fresh yeah. out of college and yeah. being thrown in an NFL locker room and saying yeah you have to come back with someone answering questions it was yeah. like okay I don't know what to do and then I like I actually do have this one experience where I mean for me I think it comes down to the overall picture of this story is the fact that I think being a black woman helped in that sense because they had probably never seen another black person, <laughs> but little, I mean, black woman. In a lot yeah. of and it played to my advantage where I walked up to this player who, again, I had, I, like, the thing about football is, like, at least basketball, the roster is small, so you could, like, know everybody from jump. For basket, for football, like, you have a hundred, over a hundred players, whatever, in the locker room at, like, at least the training camp or whatever. So you, probably don't know people's names or like that much about them. So I went to this random guy, asked him some pretty generic, I think I figured out what position, he, if he was like a defensive player or not. So I just kind of asked him questions about the upcoming opponent. If he was on defense, I think I just asked him, how are you going to stop this offense? Whatever, like kept it generic as possible. Yeah. And I bring back all of that audio to <laughs> Jackie, who's the director there for the sports department. Yeah. I don't even think she will remember this, but I remember this. And she was like, I can't use any of this. And I was like, what? Oh, my gosh, what did I do? Did I ask the wrong question? Did I say something? And she was like, no, actually, it was fine. It's just that rookies aren't supposed to talk to the media. And I'm just like, wouldn't the rookies know that? Like, isn't that the point? Like, if you're a rookie and, like, Bill Belichick said, don't talk to us, don't talk to us. And I mean, the, obviously the, the footage never aired just to make sure we're covering everybody's behind. It was, it was honestly, it was a great rep experience for me to be able to get the experience. But I think one of the reasons why it happened was one, I had to, I was also like, I was a rookie in a sense when you really think about it. So I'm walking in there probably looking like a rookie, like looking at, like I had no idea what was going on, but also just like being still bold enough where I was like, okay, I'm just going to, talk to someone that looks like no one talks to them like usually everyone's swimming around the Tom Brady's or the at that time the Gronkowski's and so I was like I'll talk to this guy no one wants to talk to and that got me a story that I couldn't use because he felt seen in that moment and I think going back to just being a, a black woman in the industry especially in sports yeah. a lot of time black athletes aren't seen and that's not because they physically aren't seen because obviously there are a lot of reporters in the locker room on a given day basis, um, daily basis. But 
there are a lot of times where you'll have stories that need to be covered, i.e. right now, these protests happening, and there aren't enough Black journalists to not even just understand why players like Jalen Brown are protesting, but more so understanding the history. Like, you can't go into an interview with someone, and let's say you're from Orange, New Jersey, and the other person's from California. Yeah. And their experiences as someone that grew up in Orange, New Jersey, that I'm going to have that someone in California, I mean, let's start with the weather. The weather is completely different. How did that affect you growing up? Were you depressed around wintertime because it was cold? Like little things like that, I think, help you find good stories because when you know what it's like to grow up in Orange, New Jersey, and you know what those experiences bring to a person and how those experiences affect a person, then you're able to ask the proper follow-up questions. Like, for example, when I was talking to the Haitian man that I mentioned over the weekend, I didn't grow up in Haiti. So again, my perspective is still probably not going to be as insightful as maybe if my dad had interviewed him. But at yeah. the same time, I still know about Haitian food and Haitian culture enough where I could ask him questions that he would be able to give me a different answer versus someone else that doesn't know any, even know what language Haitians speak and they wouldn't be able to get the proper follow-up story. Another example from the protest is I had a Puerto Rican American woman, uh, a Puerto Rican, sorry, a Puerto Rican woman um, speak to me about why her and her son were there and her, she's Puerto Rican and Portuguese and her son, sorry, Puerto Rican and Brazilian and her son was in that as well as Dominican. So another thing I think people look at people of color and they like, oh, all black people are black people. Like, they're all like people like the term African-American is like, no, actually I'm not African-American. I'm Haitian American. Or she could, you know, her son's Dominican American. And she mentioned the fact that like how colorism exists in her, you know, with her family members and people that don't understand their, their privilege of being lighter skinned people of color. And when she said that I was shocked because like I would one never have thought of her to say it, but if we're being honest, if a white person, one, I don't think she would have brought that up to a white journalist, but yeah. two, even if they did, they wouldn't have, they probably would have been like, oh, okay, so you think that being out here is good to show support. But for me, I brought, I followed up. I was like, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think a lot of people of color don't want to talk about the colorisms in our society, like in our community. And she was like, yeah, and it needs to be talked about. She was so bold about it. And I was taken aback because, again, I didn't think that she would even lead the conversation there. But for her to understand her light skin privilege as still a a woman of color, that just led to a a whole new conversation. And again, if you didn't have two people of color, two women of color having that conversation, you probably wouldn't have gotten to that point. And again, that basically those examples just really solidify why you need journalists of color, why history hasn't seen the story of Black people. And now you're starting to see more and more people are able to be journalists, Black people, and tell the stories or relay the messages of other people's stories. So, yeah. (laughs) And um, so then, so you were at WBZ, is that what you said? And then you were at NBC Boston, Sports Boston? Yeah, it was Comcast Sportsnet at the time. Okay. I went back home to New Jersey for that one month after the apprenticeship ended. I mean, sorry, right. three months after the apprenticeship ended. Uh, like between me getting back into the industry, I ended up working 
for the state of New Jersey for three months, I was giving out nurses licenses. Mm. And it's so funny because it was a part of my journey where I was frustrated and trying to understand if I was even going to get back in sports. That actually motivated me to start a YouTube show that was, excuse me, I mean, I didn't end up, like, it's just on YouTube. It's just like a few episodes. But I think that reminded me that I did want to get back into sports. And so I continued to apply. I applied to so many small markets. Nobody wanted to hire me. I had one interview with a a market station in Maryland. And they just, the interview was so awkward. I knew I wasn't getting the job by the time it was over. But I kept applying. I I was diligent. And it turned out, going back to networking, and conferences and stuff like that like I think that's very valuable because I ended up getting recommended by my executive producer that was at WBZ and she was like yeah you should apply for this opening I know they're looking for an opening right now you should go and just check it out and in my head I was like I don't want to be a production assistant I don't even know what that means it doesn't sound great I want to be a reporter like I was stuck on this high horse of being a reporter yeah and I applied, I ended up hearing back, it took a while to hear back and I eventually ended up getting hired for it. And that was just another example of the right people being placed in my life because if she hadn't pushed me to apply, I wouldn't have even wanted to. And I was stuck on being on camera, being a reporter. And I look back now and I'm like, I've gotten so many on camera opportunities. I am continuing to get reps in when it comes to reporting. Like I was in the field a few days ago, reporting yeah. people. So again, the journey may seem like, oh, I have to do this, this, and this to get to this destination. But there are different routes to getting to those destinations. And I think people forget that a lot of times. So I was there as a production assistant within, I think, a year and a half. I became a digital production assistant, which was just more of doing stuff on the internet versus for the TV side. Okay. And then within, a, I think, a year, six months after that, they had an opening for a social media producer. Uh, social media, that's my kind of now, social media coordinator. And yeah. I started that role, still not understanding why, because I was like, okay, I like social media, but again, I still want to be a reporter. Yeah. And with that role, I was able to be on some of um, one of our TV shows, Quick Slants, which, okay, you want to be on TV, look at it, look at this. You were complaining and look at you guy. And yeah. I was able to cover a lot of games over the last few years, whether it was Celtics games, I was able to cover Red Sox. The World Series in 2018, I was able to cover the Bruins Daily Cup playoff where they did not win, but I was still able to be there and be a part of that experience. So here I was in my head thinking that I had to go this traditional route and I have been blessed to be able to do even more than I imagined. And again, my career is not over yet. It's just beginning (laughs) to start. So, so in a way that was so unpredictable, it's like, okay, stop doubting yourself stop doubting god stop doubting the fact that you're gonna have this journey and you're gonna have to continue to enjoy it and there will be bumps in the road but yeah so basically after being the social media coordinator for two years i believe i saw this opening for this job another person pushed me one of my coworkers, uh sharad he was like, you should just apply for it. And I was like, I don't know, I don't news. Like, what are you talking about? And I ended up, all right, I'll apply for it. Ended up getting the job. And then I've been, it's fun. It's not funny. I started working the job during the pandemic. And so the transition was super weird because I ended a job 
working from home at the sports um, station. And then I started the new job working from home as well. And I haven't met any of my coworkers except for one in it's real funny. life. I mean, I, I was interviewed in person by the, um, the managers because that was still before the pandemic actually started to, to um, spread. But afterwards, we've all been stuck at home. So it's been a, a very interesting journey. Like, I don't, again, there's nobody else in the world that has this story that I do. And so I'm grateful for it. I'm definitely grateful. Yeah. Um, what was, I guess, what was the, what's the most fun part about being in, in journalism or, you know, being on, on the reporting side of things? For me, it has always been, and I think it will continue to be the people that I meet, even when I was covering the Celtics, I, I, what people would always say like, Tia Garden was my oyster. Like I would go there. It took the second season for me to really warm up to the NBA in general and realize like, you know what? I'm going to just like, I'm going to do this. Like I would, I started dressing up more. I started just being, I mean, I was always really sociable, but I started being more social. I, I don't know. I just love meeting new people. And I just love the fact that you can walk into an arena and not know who you're going to encounter that day. Like there, I had one encounter with Meek Mill where he was there for the Sixers when the yeah. Celtics put them in the playoffs a few years ago. And being the bold person that I was, I was like, I'm just gonna ask Meek if he wants to post a video for our social media. And I walked up to him, made sure to like, show that I wasn't trying to be on like some groupie status or anything. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm working, I have my ID. I didn't even take a picture with him because for me personally, and I, I don't commend people, I mean, condemn people that like take pictures with celebrities because everyone can do their own thing. For me being younger and knowing how many eyes were on me or are still on me, yeah. I just purposely didn't take the photo because I didn't want someone to be like, oh, well, she goes to these games and all she does is just take photos of celebrities. Is she yeah. even blah, blah, like, yeah. no, no. I was thinking about that stuff. Yeah. I did fast forward and ended up taking a picture of Michael B. Jordan one day. Oh, that's but that was just, it was, it was funny. I didn't plan on taking the photo. I literally stood there and was trying to just be like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. Like all these girls would take, like there were other media members. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this. And then he ended up like, he looked at me. He was like, are you sure you don't want to take the photo? And I was like, okay, I guess I should. Because I'm going to look like I'm being rude at this point. So I took the photo. But like, usually I just stay, I've stayed away for now because yeah. I don't want people to like judge my intentions based on it. But the Meek story was just for the fact that, like, I got content for us. Like, I was bold enough to just go up to him and just like, hey, I know you're a Sixers fan, but do you have a message for Celtics fans? And he, of yeah. course, well, Sixers, whatever he said. But for me, I think being thrown into an arena like that, even though I claim to be the social butterfly, being in an arena like that, I think, pushed me out of my comfort zone more because I was forced to just make sure I was in the right place at the right time, making sure I'm getting the right content at the right time. And it's still a challenge. Like the NBA, even like NBA games, there's just like a level of like clearance for where you are. Like I had a press pass, so I got to be on the court, but like the people that are sitting courtside, that's one level of income or class or status. And so for me to even be there, I had to learn how to fit into that as well, because you can't just be walking on a court, obviously I had a press pass, but you can't just like walk on courtside and just like, casually walk up to people like we have to figure out the levels of doing that like with me yeah. he, did, he had security at the time so it was like but it was like a little more lax 
Kevin Hart was at one of the games. I couldn't just walk up to Kevin Hart. He had a whole security entourage, you know? So just realizing like how society, it really comes down like how society works too. But like how society works in the NBA arena, like helped me learn more about how I can navigate when it comes to my relationships with people and how to, to build genuine ones. Because I think a lot of times people look at the industry or careers like this and they're like, oh, you know, I just want to be friends with this person for the status or like, you know, taking a photo with Meek will boost my Instagram likes or whatever it may be. And for me, it was like, no, you're learning how to hopefully build genuine relationships with people. Well, yes, like in the moment, I was using him in a sense for like the video for him to post, yeah. but I'm doing it in a way where it's like, I'm not, I'm not asking for, honestly, it, I want it to be like a win-win where like, yes, I'm asking you to post this video for us, but I'm making sure to tag you. Like, yeah. I'm like, you're, you know, you're, I mean, granted, he doesn't need me to promote him on our channels, but you know, just the fact that you should be able to build genuine relationships, because I think a lot of times people don't like, yeah. it, it's all, there are a lot of artificial relationships in general. And I want to make sure that I'm not one of those people where I'm just like hitting people up or using people or doing it all for the wrong reasons which is hard because people are always going to assume that you're using them and that's completely okay to believe because a lot of people do use people especially in our industry yeah what would you say on the flip side is is the hardest thing about journalism and and things like that i wouldn't say it's the hardest thing but really just seeing the lack of diversity and wanting change and knowing that it won't happen overnight yeah. and there's only so much you can do but you also have to make sure you're doing the best that you can do in that situation again i don't see it as a it doesn't deter me from working in the industry but i i just want to make sure that in the end people look at what i did in my career and said that she gave back she helped advance this industry and she told stories that were good and true and and genuine and people trusted her with their stories and that weighs on me a lot because it is a lot of pressure to put on oneself but again it's not a negative pressure it's more of like this is my obligation yeah. and I just want to fulfill that because without the Robin Roberts or the Pam Olivers that I mentioned even without the more recent the Jamel Hills or even the Maria Taylors like without other black women that have come before me. And I know I just mentioned only sport women in sports. Robin's in news now. Yeah, but yeah. black women in news and sports that have come before me, like I want to make sure that I'm continuing to build other black women up as well because I mean, it's not even just about black and white, it's just more about everyone's stories eventually being told on an equal level. And obviously that's not the case right now. But my goal and my responsibility is to make sure that eventually it is. Yeah. Talk to me about um, your vision and, and desires for the future. You know, five years from now, um, what would be the, you know, the best case scenario for, for Kwani? At this point, I've learned to stop putting strong expectations on what it looks like. Yeah. I plan on being successful and happy and you know supporting my family and any way and my friends in any way that I can but when it comes to like what would your job title be I don't have a name for that anymore because if you told me 
last this time last year that I'd be a social media producer right now for a news station and we'd be living through a pandemic and people would be fighting for black lives <laughs> definitely wouldn't have believed you yeah. so 10 years down the line I mean I don't know what that holds I just hope that again everything I said before about just being able to empower other women in the industry empower people to tell true stories is the goal and as long as i'm doing that in a successful way in an honest way i don't want to sell my soul for anything like i want to make sure that i am always being true to who i am and as long as i'm doing that and even if that means i was true to myself and i don't make it I'm not successful and that sounds so bad to even say but I think I'll still be more at peace than if I knew that I didn't go about my journey the way that was honorable. To me. Like everyone has their own moral compass. I know what mine is and I want to make sure that I'm living and um, continuing to abide by that one versus just selling out and not being happy in the end. Yeah. Was there uh, anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about? No, I think you covered like my whole journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, so, Kwani, I just want to acknowledge you. I, I think that, um, you know, um, seeing your journey has been awesome. Um, and, you know, the trueness of, you know, having known you before your, you know, journalism. I mean, you were always a social person. You always loved everybody. You were always the person bringing up everybody's energy and, and oh, things yeah. like that. So um, uh, it's been awesome to hear about your journey. I hope uh, people um, that, you know, anybody that sees it that may want to enter the profession can see that, you know, you don't always have to have that straight and um, narrow path of knowing that, you know, you're going to journalism school. Um, for all of us, um, how can we continue to support you? Where can we find you? Things like that. So I am everywhere under Kwani A. Lunas, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Uh, honestly, just do a Google. My website will probably pop up first and you'll be able to find every single channel. K-W-A-N-I-A-L-U-N-I-S. The A's for Abigail. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kwani. Thank you for having me. Thank you.